0: Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Today we have a very special guest with us, Dan Pierce. Now, I've known Dan for about 20 years. He was the pastor of my church when I was in high school. He probably has 30 to 40 years of pastoral experience, and then for the last 13 years, he's been the Director of Missions for the Eastern Baptist Association and the Tucumcari Baptist Association of New Mexico. Now, in this role, he has about 41 churches that are under his care. Now, he doesn't have authority over these churches, but he serves more in the role of an encourager and a helper. He encourages pastors, helps pastors, helps churches, helps churches find pastors. And he also spends a lot of time helping churches learn how to make disciples. I'm really excited to visit with him today, and I hope you'll enjoy the interview as well. Well, hi, Dan. It's nice to visit with you today. It's good to visit with you, James. Why don't, uh, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit of your background, tell us how you got into ministry and then kind of what that was like, and then how you got into disciple-making.
1: Well, when I was a kid, I found Christ at, at, at a young age, and God called me to ministry uh, when I was 11. I didn't know what that meant. I I had a lot of questions, and so I've had probably 10 different men that have spoke into my life. And mm-hmm. I went to them for advice, and they shared part of their life with me. Mm-hmm. And so, they, in a sense, they were modeling for me what discipleship is.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, became a pastor uh, primarily small country churches usually 35 miles from town from uh-huh. the nearest town kind of a kind of a church and so i would invest in young young men primarily mm-hmm. but about 13 years ago i came to a, a where i support 41 different churches now kind of a, as an encourager and and kind of a guide a friend a, a partner Mm-hmm. Uh, with churches, and at the same time, I began to train young men and intent do it really intentionally
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to go after and and to begin to speak into their life what what Christ has taught me, and then what he's teaching me moment by moment kind of a thing
0: right right and how long How long were you a pastor for before you switched
1: i was I was a pastor for thirty five years Okay. So I'm getting to be an old man here. Yeah. It seems like. (laughs) But it it, as the time goes on I sense urgency. This is the time I have the experience. Mm -hmm. God has given me some knowledge. Right. I need to share it. I need to give it away.
0: Tell me a little bit, like when you made that transition, you've been pastoring for thirty five years, and uh you were my pastor for a while what when you switched into that role of where you're more more of an encourager and you're working more with pastors and again not as an authority over them but just as a an encourager, an older man that if if they'll take uh, take direction or advice or encouragement, you can give it to me how did that affect your view of the church or your view of pastoring or
1: if I had it to do over, I would be more intentional about investing, okay, and I would be more systematic about it. Mm-hmm. It would be sporadic in the early days and now there's a lot of pastors that really do not want help, they feel like they have a handle on it, they're going for it you know and and i I'm there to encourage that as well mm-hmm. uh so primarily i I focus on young men college age maybe a little older than that that are open to being taught Uh uh-huh if they're teachable i'll teach anybody right
0: right now one of the questions i get a lot from people that are they they're just figuring out about disciple making or they're interested and they say well how like how do i find people so like for you how do you find these young men is there a sorting process that you use absolutely
1: I believe a disciple is, in the most basic sense, is a learner. Mm-hmm. And so if I tell a story and they they're, they ask a question about it, then they have proven to me that they're a learner. And as long as I will teach them, as long as they will let me.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How often do you, I would assume in your shoes, like once you, I find once you get into disciple making, and you're really focusing on it, pretty soon you have more people than you can meet with. It's not really... When you first get started, you say, like, how am I going to find anybody? But then after you do it a while, it's more like, how do I fit everybody in? And you have to start weeding people out.
1: Well, my primary
0: goal is to do it one-on-one if possible.
1: Okay. And if not, I will do it one-on-two or three, try not to go larger than that. That was the model that Jesus primarily taught, one-on-one. With Zacchaeus or the woman at the well, but also his three disciples, he spent one one on three. Mm-hmm. I'll use that if, if I need to. I had one one young man that that I taught, vested in his life. He had he had never had a dad. He was getting married and he was scared to death. He says, "I don't know how to be a a Christian man or a dad or a husband or any of that." And he said, "I'm I'm just scared. Can you help me?" and and I said, sure. And so I spent a, a year and a half with him, investing in his life. And as he was graduating from college, he, he told his friends, he said, if you have a chance, meet with this guy. He's, he'll help you. And so I had about eight young men come to me all at once and saying, we want to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. And so I divided them up into groups of three, two and three, began to invest in them.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I got to ask, because yeah, so why not one on twelve? Because Jesus also did that as well, or why? Why do you focus just on the one on one versus the one on three?
1: One on twelve would be very difficult to build community where they're all on the same page at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one on three, I found there, there's a little bit of peer pressure. You yeah. know, when I give a, a homework assignment and one guy didn't do it yeah two would make him feel like you better he get on the, done stick. It. yeah yeah, so there's there's some value in having a larger group, but i I believe the greatest hindrance to discipleship is people get stuck mm-hmm. what do you mean by stuck they'll they'll have a question about God or a question about the Bible or a question about life, and they don't have an answer,-, mm-hmm. and they go to church looking for the answer but there's not a forum to say, I have a question. You can't interrupt the preacher when he's preaching on a Sunday morning. And you, I guess you could text him or uh, email him during the week, but, but people get stuck. And so they need the, the intimate ability to ask questions, Mm -hmm. personal questions. And they feel like, well, this could be a dumb question. I don't know. I don't want to embarrass myself. Right. So, they go for years, many times, not growing mm-hmm. because they're stuck.
0: Yeah. And they tend to either leave the church or just kind of fizzle out where they are.
1: Right. Yeah, they'll they'll walk away from the church and say, the church doesn't make sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. But in a small group, you could ask stupid questions. Yeah.
1: Get away with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can. What would you say to that? I guess the average church, you know, they have, because there's a lot of people that come through our doors, but not necessarily a lot of them that stick. If you're a church and you're saying like, well, we'd like to start catching some of those, like, what does a church do? How would you begin advising a church to begin catching these people? Or how do they open up a a situation where this person can ask the questions?
1: I really believe that they need community. They need a place that they can go and be cared for. Mm Mm-hmm. And that could be a larger group. That could be a Bible study group, or a share group, or you know, a grow group. I heard the other day. But I think they need to be invited to a one-on-one session, or a one-on-two or three, mm-hmm. and and ask them, bring your questions. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the hard things. Let's mm-hmm. not, let's don't avoid anything. Let's get to the root yeah. instead of the the surface.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So why why don't you think more churches do that?
1: Well, as a pastor, I always thought that I could my preaching was going to be world famous and that if I preached a message that would settle every issue. And boy was I deceiving <laughs> myself. Yeah. You know, and I would preach for a year well, one time I preached for eight months on the same subject. Every two, mm-hmm. two to three times a week, I'd preach on the same subject every week. And at the end of that, some of the people started asking questions about the subject I was preaching about—covenant—and uh-huh. they started asking a, a few questions at the end of eight months.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So they were just beginning to to grasp what I was teaching. Yeah. But I think teaching, it needs more on one for them to grow faster.
0: Right, right. I remember a similar situation where I had this thing that like really been in my mind and I'd like molded over for like two and a half months and I preached it. And at the end of it, we had these little discussion groups in this church. And at the end of it, we're discussing and like another one of the leaders of the church, when he answered one of the questions I had for discussion, I realized, Nobody got what I was trying to say, and I'd spent two and a half months on this sermon. Yeah, sometimes people are not listening; mm-hmm. they're not ready to listen.
1: Mm-hmm. And in a small group, you know, there's more interaction and more personal touch. What I love to do is I love to be there, ask the right question at the right time. Uh-huh. They have a self-discovery—that's right. the greatest part. Where, with all of a sudden. They see it for
0: themselves, mm-hmm. yeah, and they really learned it. They own it. Then, so what I what I see happening a lot is you have, you know, someone comes into a church, and it's either real surface, or you know, the pastor. A lot of times, will try to engage people, but there's a limit. There's only one pastor, and there's you know, small churches, 100 church. There's a hundred hundred people. Like he just can't do that. How do you begin trying to get, get the people in the church? to, you know, to step out and to be able to engage one-on-one or to engage one-on-three? Like if you're the pastor, or if you're one of, maybe not a pastor, but you're a deacon, you're one of the leaders in the church, how do you begin to get people to do that?
1: I believe the church had two models, two. The early church had two models. In the beginning, it says there was added to the church, and it says 3,000. But I believe the 120 that met in the, the upper room were those that were doing the discipling of the 3,000. Uh huh. And so I believe that the way to, for a pastor to start is to start with the teachable. Uh huh. Now, I would prefer if you're going to have ladies, it needs to be a group. Right. Definitely. If it's one on one, I would find a man that would be willing to learn. And one of the first things that I do now is I meet with them and I say, now I'm going to spend some time with you. But one day you're going to be, you're going to be the one that's going out and helping others do what I'm teaching you today. Mm -hmm. And so I'm intentionally preparing them for the day that I'm going to say, you're on your own. You go and do what I've done for you. And and that's when it becomes multiplication. When you, uh-huh. when a pastor is doing all the work, it's addition. Uh-huh. But when he invests in a, in someone else, or maybe a two or three, then all of a sudden it begins to multiply. And that's the, that's the biblical model. Yeah, but it starts slow. It's amazingly slow. It may take a year to invest in someone before they're ready to help others
0: right right but we definitely can't we can't be adding while the population is multiplying like you never you'll never get over a critical mass and and begin like reaching a whole community if you're adding and they're multiplying even though Americans don't have a lot of kids it's still multiplication
1: that's true and we so we've got to get to that place where we invest in more than one if possible Mm -hmm. I've my goal is to have seven, seven young men that I'm investing with every week. Uh-huh. That doesn't always happen. There are some that are available and some that become unavailable and mm-hmm. I put them on hold for a time. Mm-hmm. But I have sent out about 15 young men uh, in 12 years that are now doing it. Mm-hmm. They're discipling. I, I believe you're one of those models that i've that I've had a chance to invest in, encourage, and of course, the part that's interesting is God doesn't use one one vehicle right you've been trained by many right That's true, and so we need that, so we need to find those people that can teach us and encourage us, yeah.
0: That's true. And there's definitely, there's a a multitude of people that have invested. Even thinking back when I was a kid, there were some older men in our church that were retired pastors. You, you know, mentored me then. But I think it was you about five, six years ago. That's when I finally, like finally disciple making, finally all came into like, ah, I get it. And I start trying to practice it. And then I could look back at a lot of the other experiences I had and see what I, what was happening that was good, but also you know, in an honest way to evaluate and say like, ah, this was missing. Like if I do this with somebody in the future, I'll do it a little different. You know, I'll add this part in.
1: You know, everybody's interested in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. I don't think the curriculum is nearly as important as long as it's biblically based. Uh I think it's 80% that what we're investing in other people is love. Uh, Ah, uh-huh. And it's the love that helps them make progress.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, can you put your arms around a thousand people? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. You know, you might make two people if they're skinny. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that it's the love that we invest that is more important than anything else. He, Jesus said that was the greatest thing for us to love God to love others as ourselves, And I believe disciple-making shows love. I think that's the primary purpose of Hmm. disciple-making. The more love we have, from Ephesians chapter 3, the more love we have, the greater the capacity we have to have faith. And I think love and faith go hand in hand and so, if I'm training someone and they have a loving spirit they somebody has really loved on them in the past, then they're easy. I can offer a curriculum, but I say just t- teach them what you're learning- mm-hmm. teach them what God said to you this week, and it kind of it's kind of challenging to right. stay connected yeah. to stay continue learning what you're doing right then
0: uh-huh. That's true, yeah. I think curriculum is a big thing. I also think it's real easy for people to substitute that i said well, I took him through. I took him through this curriculum. He's he's been discipled. He's been trained, and they have missed completely the life on life and the the love. You know, it's been just a class.
1: It has to be relational.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I heard a guy the other day he said, "Oh, I discipled that this other guy. He said I gave him a book, <laughs> and I'm like." But you didn't love on him. Yeah. You didn't encourage him when he was down. You didn't, you didn't let him ask the right question at the right time, and he didn't get it. He's not made any progress since you gave him the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that was true, then Amazon would be the greatest disciple-maker in the world. That's right. What about—because disciple-making, I think everything has a cost— so like if you, when you start investing in disciple making, like what's it cost you? What are the hard things about it?
1: Well, I think that the time away from family is, but I, I have a loving wife that mm-hmm. says, go, mm-hmm. just go and do this and come back, come back and put all of your energy into the family when you come back. But she's, you know, she's willing for me to go and do ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you're an empty nester, and you've, you've had a great wife for however many years y'all have been married. What was it like when you had kids? What, if you're talking to a pastor that's my age and has three little kids, how does that look different, or what do you, what do you advise them?
1: Finding balance is the, is the right term. I, I, it's the hardest thing to do, but when I was younger, what I would always try to do is do one of two things with my family. If I was going to meet with someone, I would either try to have supper with the family or I would try to be there at bedtime. Mm-hmm. I would plan my disciple-making around one or the other mm-hmm. so that every day I'm having direct contact and speaking into my, the life of my children. Yeah. This was an important part. You know, Saturdays were always was my day off so that I would spend time with family.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you're saying is you're gonna you got to schedule that time with your family.
1: That's right. And there's times you need to schedule your family as priority. Uh They come first. And it was interesting to me. I began as my kids got to be teenagers. I say now there are about five events that are not not an option to change in my schedule. But I said other than that, you can change anything on my calendar. And I invited my children to to say, "Dad, I need you on this day. Would you go? Uh-huh. Would you come? Would you come to this ball game, or I'm going to give a speech, or I'm going to do do something? I want you to be there." And mm-hmm. I put that that was priority then. Mm-hmm. And if someone called and said, "Are we going to meet this week?" I said, "Nope, something has come up, and it's really important. I need to go."
0: Yeah, that's good. Really good. When you said earlier at the beginning you talked about intentionality you would have been more intentional back in your earlier days intentional in what ways intentional in like what you what what you were teaching them or intentional in grabbing people or what what do you mean by intentionality
1: you can't just leave it to chance just you hope that something will happen you have to pursue them you have to you have to say you're you're important to me i want to spend time with you is there a time that we could arrange it to to meet our needs to be together
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know i would at times i would get up at 4 in the morning to meet with one guy i mean that that was dedication. uh that was a little bit of a test for for both him and i but that was the only time that our schedules would work and so we would we met for a year every wednesday morning at 4 a.m. but some I would meet at seven in the morning or some at, at lunchtime, or if, you know, with a college student, you never yeah, know. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, and I told them, I don't want you skipping class to meet with me, but, but we found that common, common area that we could, we could invest together. Uh huh. But the intentionality part, I, I pursue, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like dating in a sense. You know, if you're interested in someone, then pursue, go, go after, you know, I mean, and the same is true with disciple making. If, if someone shows some interest, they want to learn, then pursue it and, and let them tell you no. Right. Before you sit, say, I'm going to quit pursuing at that point.
0: Yeah. When you meet someone like that, you've known them a little bit, you have identified that they're interested or they're learning. Do you just, what do you say? Do you say, hey, listen, I'm interested in discipling you? Or do you say, hey, would you like to get together and meet a few times over a Bible? Like, how do you how do you do that?
1: At the beginning time, I think it's just getting to know them, mm-hmm. you know, and say, you know, I'm, I'm learning some things. Could, And then, you know, after a second, third time that you meet, say, I'm learning some things that are really important to me, and I would love to to share them with you. Uh, would that be something of interest? And then mm-hmm. at that point, you can even, you know, it's not a bad thing to make a contract, either mm-hmm. verbally or even written. Mm-hmm. Appropriate thing to say, all right, we're going to meet from this time to this time for three months or for six weeks or whatever it is, whatever they will give you. Mm-hmm. And then just say, now, if something comes up with family, that's important. Mm-hmm. We need to take those times away, but we get back as soon as we can.
0: Yeah. And have you ever had to terminate a discipling relationship? And how do you do that?
1: Absolutely. I, homework is a test. If they do their homework, if they've, if they've made an investment, if they want to learn, then they're a disciple. If they're not learning, then simply they're not ready to be discipled. Mm -hmm. I would just stop and say, well, all right, you, you've not done your homework for three, three weeks. There's not even an attempt. What's going on? Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Is it me? If I, have I offended you? You know, if it's not me, (laughs) then it, all right. Is it, is there a problem that you're facing that that you need to talk about, Mm you know, give them a chance. But if it's this, well, I'm really not interested. Then I say, well, I'm glad you said that because that helps me, not to waste your time. Right. And so I let them do the termination. Mm-hmm. But I, but again, I go back. Homework is a is a, a an indicator that something is wrong. Uh huh. And finding the answer is important.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna ask you one last question, and then I'll let you go. Maybe two last questions. So if somebody, let's say they're out listening to this, and I feel like a number of us have this experience, where they say, like, well, you know, I want to disciple somebody, but nobody discipled me. There's not someone around me that's really like actively discipling, and I want to get started. Do you have a resource or two that you would say, hey, hey, start with this book or start with this passage in the Bible? Um, what are some resources you'd throw out for somebody?
1: Well, I think Mark chapter four mm-hmm. uh, is a, an important passage. In this passage, he he teaches about sowing seed. There's a group that has on the internet called something that's called four fields. Mm -hmm. And the four, the four fields relate to ground that is ready to be seeded. Mm -hmm. You find ground and, and maybe if you're the person that's ready to, you're hungry, you want someone to invest, then go find someone that would invest in your life and find the most godly man and ask them, can you spend time with me? Teach me what you've learned. Now, mm-hmm. I'm a hard case. The reality is I'm, I'm a slow learner, and I've counted up. There, there are 10 men that invested in my life. Seven of them intentionally invested in my life. Mm-hmm. They pursued, I went to them and said, would you spend time with me? They agreed and they spent time with me for some, only a few sessions, maybe five, six sessions with one man. But he was the disciple making guy for Billy Graham. I mean, he was a busy guy. He, yeah. you know, he said, well, I, I can't meet with you for six months because I'm going to be in Australia. <laughs> but, but I pursued him. I was hungry. I was that field that needs, needs, needs the seed being planted. Uh huh. But the, the last part of that parable that he gives in this, in this passage, he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprout and grows how he himself does not know. That's in verses 26 and 27 of Mark 4. And God does the increase. All we're doing is, is giving seed, and we're letting God do the increase in their life. Mm-hmm. But if there's not love there, then it's worth grows. Yeah. Nothing grows. It's hard ground.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Any last thoughts you want to throw out?
1: He's going to come soon. Jesus is right <laughs> at the door. We should not be wasting our time mm-hmm. without disciple making.
0: Yeah. Here here. Yeah. All right, well thanks a lot, Dan. You're welcome. God bless you, brother. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Deep Water podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dan as much as I did. We would really love it if we could get some feedback from you guys if you have some Topics that you'd like to discuss, some suggestions, we would love to have them. You can email us at james at luke5.com. That's L-U-K-E-F-I-V-E dot Email us there, or if there's a guest that you think would be good for us to get on the show, do let us know and we'd love to do that. We appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week.